Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it is Jobs Friday. 156,000 jobs were created in December. The unemployment rate was 4.7%. We are going deep, deep inside the numbers. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Paul and Stephen coming to you from the Wall Street Journal studios in lovely New York City. Hope you are having a great day. We're having a pretty good day. Yeah, it's Jobs Friday. Because Grocer finally showed up with the bagels. Yeah, the snowstorm got me delayed. I know people worried that it was going to delay the jobs report. Delayed me a little bit this morning. Right. Well, in the newsroom, we were more worried that the jobs report, that the snow might delay the bagels. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and it did. So very, very bad snowstorm. But I did show up. I did show up. Did show up with the bagels. I will say, say if you look at the food, I mean, every every Jobs Friday we bring in food. Yes, it's a little tradition here in the Wall Street Journal. And and like you know, three or four years ago, there was like maple covered bacon. Kathleen Madigan made that that maple covered. That was the best. But we're we're getting a little weak. We got like some Dunkin' Donuts and some bagels, and that's about it now. Yeah, it's kind of. Although, as Tim Puko pointed out, Tim Puko says this, and and everyone in the newsroom, all our ears perked up. He said. Donuts with marshmallows on them. And they were literally donuts with marshmallows on them. How, how good is that? Well, it's stiff competition between Jobs Friday and Bank Earnings Day. I think that's like the sort of carb wars. The, the, that is the, right, right. Bank, the, the carb the, wars. They, right. they are copying us at, to be honest, with the, the bank guys. Yeah, they're. I mean, Jobs Friday pales. dominated. Do, yeah. yeah. The food wars in the newsroom. These are the pressing matters of our time. Yeah, now we bored everyone with that conversation. <laughs> right, right. Now to that the actual jobs yeah. numbers. Uh, and if you haven't figured it out yet, because you didn't recognize her voice, Sarah Krause is with us. Sarah, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Good thanks to see you me. again. Yeah. And on the line, we have calling in Jeff Schultz, who is an investment strategist at ClearBridge. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing well. How's everybody doing? We're doing okay. I, I, you know, sorry that you couldn't be here in the studio in the newsroom for the the uh, marshmallow covered donuts. I know. But, I was getting a little jealous with all that. Talk. Yeah, but actually, they're easily accessible if you like. <laughs> you can go out and get your own. Uh, so yeah, it is Jobs Friday, first January and Friday, first first Friday in 2017. You got the monthly jobs report for December. Uh, 156,000 uh, jobs created in December, unemployment rate of 4.7%. Those are the headline numbers. Uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll kick it out to you first. What did you make of this report? Yeah, so overall, we see this as a, a positive jobs report. Even though the headline number did come in a little shy of consensus forecasts, it really wasn't much of a surprise if you were looking at the ADP payroll numbers miss of 22,000 yesterday. But the silver lining really was the higher wage growth of 2.9%, which was the fastest growth that we've seen since the financial crisis, along with an unemployment rate that's jumped up to you know, more people entering into the workforce and being excited about their job prospects. So both of these developments are indicative of a, a tightening labor market, and, and we believe that we're near full employment and, and maybe on course to slightly overheat here in 2017. But the question that's on most people's minds, and more importantly, is that it doesn't really change anything from the Fed's point of view. And we believe they're going to take a wait-and-see approach to see if we can actually get some follow-through on the wage growth front. And if you look back at the wage growth number from October and the drop that we saw in November, you know, that's going to serve as a reminder to the Fed that wage growth can and will fluctuate from month to month. So we believe the Fed will run the economy a little bit hotter at the end of the day. But with this jobs report taken in totality, we think that this is a good print. 
I guess, I mean, that getting back to your point about wage growth fluctuating, the 2.9 is, you know, the best in how many years? Since 2009? Since I think 2009, it was? yeah. 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 Um, that's a great number. We've been waiting for wage growth to pick up, or not a great number. It's a solid number. But, I mean, as you said, it's fluctuated a lot month to month. I mean, are we going to see a sort of, you know, wage growth to sort of steadily grow, um, do you think, in this in the new year? Yeah, we do. We see wage growth moving into the low 3% range by the end of 2017. And there's a couple drivers behind that. You know, first off, you have minimum wage hikes. If you look here in the U.S., uh, starting on Jan 1, you've had 19 states increase the minimum wages, and that's going to affect about 4.3 million workers uh, across the country. You know, if you look at Arizona, for example, one out of every nine employees or 12% of the workforce is set to receive a wage increase. So that's going to continue to, to give us higher wage growth numbers as well. But also, if you look at the small business optimism that's out there, um, it's climbed significantly since the election of Trump, and small businesses really are very important for the U.S. employment picture because they account for about 41 percent of the payrolls, but they do a majority of the hiring. And with the NFIB Small Business Optimism Index, which is essentially an index that judges whether small business owners are excited or not excited about the economy, it jumped up to 98.4, um, which is the highest jump that we've had really since 2010. Um, so if you think that small business owners are getting excited with lower taxes, lower regulations, that should lead to higher increases in employment and job numbers and, and wage growth all on the same front. And, and so just – sorry, go ahead. Um, one other thing I was just going to mention is with that NFIB Small Business Optimism Index, it goes back to the 1980s. Every time that you've seen wage growth accelerate uh, to, the, uh, to this tune, employers were saying that jobs were hard to fill. Um, 20% or more had indicated that that was an issue for them at their business, and today it's over 30. So just uh, on, kind of on cue here, you've seen higher wage numbers that reflecting that uh, jobs is hard to fill question. And so what are your expectations from the Fed? You mentioned that you expect them to sort of keep things moving, but is that a January expectation? Do you expect to see that later in the year? And, and what are you thinking in terms of pace? Yeah, we think the Fed, the dot plots are correct at this point. We think three rate hikes is the baseline expectation. And the reason why we're not elevating that at this point is you have inflation that's relatively subdued. You're going to start to see higher prints over the next couple quarters because oil and commodities are going to be increasing quite a bit year over year. But that's going to be transitory, and you should see the inflation numbers come back down by the second half of 2017. And you also have a stronger dollar. That should also help keep some of the inflationary pressures at bay. And if we do get deregulation, historically, that's been a, a very powerful force of disinflation as well. So there's not really any impetus for them to raise rates at this point with inflation being relatively subdued and still below their core PCE threshold of 2%. One of the questions, I want, I want to get back to sort of this idea of jobs being hard to fill. One of the questions, you know, I think that's been debated for years now is whether there's sort of a skills job gap um, that is sort of making jobs hard to fill or whether it is actually a tightening labor market. What's your feeling on that, sort of, which is the bigger factor? Well, I think we do have a, a tighter labor market, and the labor force participation rate is a little misleading. 
Um, you've seen it drop dramatically really since 2000, but more pronounced since 2007. And a lot of that is mainly due to the result of an aging population, some, some poor demographics here in the U.S. The graying of America, these baby boomers that are exiting the workforce, um, but they're not exiting due to economic reasons, but it's more due to early retirements with aging complications. So about two-thirds of the decline that we've seen in the participation rate since 2007 is a reflection of these increased retirements. So I, I do see that the labor market is a lot uh, doesn't have as much slack as many out there believe. And because of that, that's going to make jobs harder to fill, and you're going to have to offer pay raises to employees to incentivize them to, to come off the sidelines or to move the, from their current employer to, to come work for you. All right, let's, let's take a break here. We will come back with more on the jobs report. Stephen Grosser, Sarah Krause, Paul Vigna, and Jeff Schultz from ClearBridge. We'll be back on the other side of this important message. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And look, if you're interested in more podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We are on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music app, uh, Amazon Echo. We are everywhere you need to be. And, and before we go any further, I have to say one thing. If anyone out there is listening, and it might come too late, but... Somebody on Twitter this morning made a reference to that Alanis Morissette song, the ironic song. It is stuck in my head now. It's killing me. It has been killing me all morning. It will not leave. I need I need a suggestion on another song. Well, At Paul Vigna, send me a su- – please hear this soon and send me a suggestion. I, I got to hear something else soon because this is, this is killing me. Well, I was just wondering. I mean we've been talking about wages almost this entire podcast and you haven't – you know, weighed in. Oh, I've got That's my. Your pet. Oh, I've got pet. my comment. <laughs> oh, I've got my comment about wages. Uh, Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Sarah Krause, and Jeff Schultz. I was an investment strategist at ClearBridge on the phone joining us. We've been talking about the jobs report, and I, you know, I, I I hesitate to throw my two cents in on this sometimes because I know the reaction is, oh, here comes Vigna again. Well, I actually there, like, that's why blah, I qualified. Blah. I said it was you know the wage growth was great. And then I was like, no, I have to take that back because Paul's going to jump all over me. Um, okay, here's my thing on wages. The the headline, you know, the the, the number two point nine percent, the average hourly wage growth. That's a fine number. I'm not going to take anything away from that number. But what happens? And I do this every single month. We get this jobs report. We do the live blog. We're all over it, tearing up the numbers. I do the same um, exercise every month. I go through the report. I look at what sectors were adding jobs. Then I go to table B8, which tells you what those sectors pay, what the wages are. And I break down by I break down what each sector is paying. So you see who's doing most of the hiring and what are they paying. And what I find 
month after month is that the sectors that are doing the most hiring are not sectors that pay very well. And when you look at that table, be a, you know, uh, health care, the wages, actually, I, I, it's, it was in our live blog this morning. I should pull this out. I won't get in. I won't break down everything. But the bottom, bottom line is that for 80 percent of Americans, for four-fifths of Americans, which is all the non-supervisory and production employees, which is most Americans, the year-over-year weekly average wage growth, and I personally think the weekly number is more indicative of what the average American's wallet looks like than the hourly number, the weekly year-over-year average hour, average weekly wage growth for 80% of Americans was 1.9% before inflation. So most Americans, again, this is why we just had the election we had. Most Americans are not seeing these these wage gains. But let's talk about that for a second. I mean, because overall, the economy that Donald Trump is walking into day one is much different than what President Obama was walking into yes, much, back in 2008. So Much different. Um, and Jeff, maybe you want to weigh in on this a little bit in terms of your expectation for where markets go from here. Because back when President Obama took office, the Dow was just below 9,000. Now we're approaching 20,000. I mean, what, what are your expectations well, I, for how much? And, and even more so, and I don't want to cut off Jeff. I want you to, to chime in, Jeff. But I only because I looked the numbers up this morning. Uh, in December 2008, which was the last month of the Bush administration, right? 2009. Sorry, right, right, was right. The first day, uh, 632,000 jobs were lost that month. The unemployment rate was 7.2 percent, and it was going up. It would crest around 10. You know, the economy was going in the complete wrong direction. That was the, the depths of the financial crisis. So. That that further makes your that point. Yeah, unemployment know. in January 2009, just looked up, was 7.8%. Right. And that was the day. I mean, I just remember those days when you were coming in and you were just seeing companies announcing massive layoffs. Yes. It was Left a, and right. one of the scariest right. periods right. of my you know, right. working here. So, Jeff, so sorry, Jeff. With all, yeah, that, with all that. <laughs> where are we headed? Yeah, we think that uh, Trump does inherit a good economy, whereas many first-term presidents are dealing with one in a recession or, or near recession. And that's certainly the case over the last couple presidents that we've had. And this factor alone should help him buck the trend of a, a tough first year of market performance. So and we expect the economy to and GDP growth to jump up two and a quarter percent this year, with the first half of the year seeing lower relative growth and growth picking up in the, the back half of the year with the S&P returning somewhere in the mid to high single digit range uh, once we look at December 31st of 2017. And the reason why we think that you're going to have this staggering of growth with lower growth in the first half of the year is that a lot of these initiatives that Donald Trump has talked about are going to take some time to come into fruition. And he's talked about tax reform, uh, infrastructure, repatriation. He's also uh, talked about reducing regulations. And all of those things are really going to be 2018 and 19 stories rather than 2017. And one of the, the examples like I, I like to typically give is tax reform, because I think that that's going to have the biggest impact on the economy overall. So with tax reform, it's a little bit different than a straight tax cut. So if we're doing a tax cut, you would see that through Congress by probably Memorial Day. But with tax reform, you have a lot of vested interests involved. And there's going to be a lot of lobbying by powerful corporations because they're going to want to keep their preferential tax treatments and loopholes open. And all that's going to do is it's going to slow down the process. And really the last time that we had tax reform was the second Reagan administration. 1986, I believe, right? Well, yeah, 84 he got elected. But it took him two years to get tax reform through Congress. And 
and that was an election that he won 49 out of 50 states. So we think that maybe Q3 or Q4 of this year, you're going to see the tax reform pass. Um, but because the economy is in good shape and consumers don't need the money and businesses don't need the money, um, you're probably going to see that start effective Jan 1, 2018. So we think that the markets will be positive, uh, but we think growth will start picking up in the back half of the year once there's, there's more visibility there. What will some of Trump's policies, I mean, how do you see that impacting the labor market as well, given that we are very close to full uh, employment or at full employment? Well, the one policy that uh, will certainly impact the labor market if it goes through is a border adjustment tax that has been thrown around there, uh, thrown around the Republican camp. And really what a border adjustment tax is, it's similar to a, a VAT or a consumption tax that you see in other countries around the world. And what that's going to do, it's going to put a tax on all imported goods, and it's also going to put a tax on all goods consumed in the U.S., but it's not going to tax our exports. So this is a way that Trump could you know, console his constituents in the Rust Belt and put the U.S. on equal footing versus the rest of the world. But there is one caveat here. In its current form, this border adjustment tax would violate World Trade Organization rules. So it's by no means a definite or a shoo-in at this point. And I know we're early in the process, and Trump has walked back some of his hard rhetoric, but you know that's a, a situation that could change the labor market uh, from an industry perspective, certainly over the next couple of years. You know, J- Jeff, I, here's a question for you, and I don't have the answer to this question. Um, there's a lot of talk about what the new administration is going to do, what their plans are in terms of, of fiscal stimulus and tax reform and all these things. And the market seems to have already made a bet that these are going to be very positive for the economy. The thing I wonder about, I mean, forget the fact that we don't know exactly what the composition of these things are going to end up looking like, which is what you pointed out when they when they get through the, the congressional meat grinder. You know, I look back at what the what has going been going on the last you know since financial crisis, right? I mean, you've had government, you have central banks all over the world have been pumping money into the system, basically giving money away, and you have not been able to spark a real strong economic growth cycle. Is there any concern on your part? Do you ever wonder about this? That if the central banks giving money away for years could not get a really strong growth cycle going. Why should we expect these policies coming out of D.C. to do anything different? Well, yeah, that's been the the entire issue, this entire recovery. Um, we've been stuck basically on, uh, you know, this 2% trajectory, this mulling through type of economy. But the reason why we've been muddling through is because monetary policy was the only thing doing the heavy lifting. And if you look back to the minutes of the Fed and Janet Yellen a couple of years back, she was calling for fiscal accommodation to help offset and augment some of the, the monetary policy that we've had because it, it was becoming more and more ineffective at trying to get higher economic growth. So now that we're finally at the point with fiscal policy and monetary policy is still relatively loose, um, it should do the trick on at least boosting GDP numbers over the next couple years as these programs are implemented. But if you're looking out past 2019 or 20, it still remains to be seen whether or not we'll be able to get enough growth to get us out of this kind of longer-term slow-growth environment. Um, but you know, if you look at history, you look at lower regulations, lower tax cuts, um, and uh, repatriation and infrastructure, you know, those are, are certainly ways that we can help 
Americans and consumers feel better about their, their prospects and maybe start spending a little bit more to get economic numbers a little bit higher than what we've been accustomed to. Okay, good answer. So given what you said about 2017, do you view 2017 as more of like a, a wait-and-see year where we may have sort of spurts of optimism based on hypotheticals, whereas the rubber hits the road in 2018? I do. I think there's going to be a lot of volatility. We've, are, we've clearly front-run um, some of these policies since the election, uh, with the market going up uh, really over the last two months without taking a, a breather. Um, but I, I do think that there's going to see some volatility around the talk of these initiatives and, and these proposals. Um, and I do think a lot of these initiatives are going to be watered down from the forms that have been talked about. You know, for example, the $1 trillion infrastructure program, I would I'd venture to say that it's probably going to be a lower number than that. Hmm. Um, I think the tax reform will be less than what's currently anticipated. Um, but nonetheless, you still should see positive growth from them, which you know the market will discount and and be able to reflect higher growth going forward. Um, but we have stole a little bit of the early part of 2017's returns over the last two months, and it, it wouldn't be surprised to us to see maybe a little bit of volatility as we get through to the inauguration, and people realize that this will be a, a longer process for Trump and Congress. And also with infrastructure, I've been harping on this for a while. It's just the fact that it's going to be, they're they're really looking to get a lot of that trillion dollars from private investment, right. and that didn't do well previously. It will be interesting to see how much interest they can really generate, yeah. and how many no, projects for private investment, are, you know, are, will interest private investors right. um, versus right. like you know if the government was just making those decisions, right? right. Um, the other, so I mean, just to quickly wrap up, we're coming pretty close to the inauguration. Are you expecting the, the next, the, you know, his first hundred days to be a sort of a interesting period for the markets as this all start, all these policies get hashed out? I think it will be, and I think the market's going to be watching very closely on the support that he garners from the Republican Party, and, and if he can garner any support from the Democratic Party as well. And, uh, you know, I think the repeal of the ACA is probably going to be first on the agenda um, because there was a proposal that was already sent by Republicans and vetoed by Obama earlier this year or earlier in 2016. Um, So the framework is already there in order to move the ball forward and and get some momentum on that front. But um, I think that the the markets are going to be very carefully watching the response and the continuity that Trump is going to uh, get from from Congress and see if they're actually going to be move, be able to move forward with a lot of these projects. Yeah. All right, Jeff Schultz, investment strategist at Clearbridge. Jeff, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. It was great. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you, uh, Steamer Grocer Sarah Kraus. Everyone, thank you. Thank you for coming in. It's one of our multimedia days, right, Grocer? I mean, we're on the blogs. We did a video. We got the podcast. Well, you did the video. We're great. Oh, I did the video. You're, 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 well, it's you're, we. It's all we. I you're mean, the you talent. Know, it's not like it's all we. This you're is, a renaissance man, it's Paul. editorial we. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you shortly. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices.